Cause and Effect, a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation, where we talk to people about the causes they care about and the effect that it has on their lives. My name is Nolan Bicknell. On today's show, I have the privilege of speaking with Monica Picor. Monica is the program coordinator of the Butterfly Club at Gani Ganichik, and we talked about so much. Uh, the Butterfly Club is designed to engage, motivate, and support Indigenous girls and two-spirit youth, 9 to 13 years of age, in cultural, social, and leadership development activities, and Monica is a wonderful advocate and leader. So the whole, um, I guess, goal of Butterfly Club is to help create opportunities for youth to uh, learn more about their culture, to get those leadership skills, um, and just build up self-confidence in our youth. I sat down with Monica Picor from Gani Ganichik to talk about reconnecting youth with their culture, the importance of truth in reconciliation, and the reciprocity of mentorship. Thank you for listening to the the Cause and Effect podcast. My name is Nolan Bicknell, and I'm now joined via Zoom by Monica Picor. She is the Butterfly Cub Coordinator at Gani Ganichik. Incorporated, which is an organization here in Winnipeg that's just doing amazing work. Uh, Monica, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be able to share what we do at Getting Guinea Chick and at Butterfly Club. Well, it's great to meet you. Um, you. You mentioned before we started recording that you've been with Gani Ganichik for about five months now. Maybe just talk about what it was like coming into an, an organization like this in the middle of a pandemic and how that sort of, uh, you know, played out for you and, and what, what you've been up to for the past five months. Awesome. Yeah. So I came in uh, about July of 2021 here. So um, when I first started, we just finished getting out of that big lockdown. Um, So I was really fortunate that I got to come back and kind of be able to switch from our virtual programming and uh, join all of our youth in person. So uh, that's been really great. It's also, uh, you know, of course, with the pandemic, being really cautious and uh, cognitive of how the numbers are going to just make sure that all of our kids are being safe when they're in our program. Um, but yeah, it's yeah, really awesome to be a part of a community organization that's really grassroots uh, in the community, boots on the ground. So um, yeah, totally different than, um, than what I was previously a part of. So yeah, it's great to be here. Very cool. So for people who haven't heard of the organization, it's K-A space N-I space K-A-N-I-C-H-I-H-K, Gani Ganichik. Mm-hmm. It translates in Korea, as you mentioned before we started recording, to those who lead. Uh, so maybe just give me a breakdown of like what the organization stands for, what all types of programming that you guys do, and, and what sort of the mission is. Yeah, so I'll try a little bit. You know, I've only been there for a few months. Um, but yeah, so Ganik and Ichik is really about um, just meeting people where they're at uh, and being able to support them uh, through different cultural um, uh, revitalization, self-determined uh, goals of, um, yeah, just whatever whatever someone's going through, if there's any way that we could help support them, um, you know, just help them in their journey and help lead them beside them, walking beside them. Um, yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of a... Uh, kind of the goal perusing the website it, it seemed as though there wasn't an issue or like a, a an approach that they wouldn't be able to try right like a full holistic mm-hmm. whatever the issue or problem or situation someone might be in they really want to meet you there and try to work with you to, to to kind of go through that so like how important is it to have that holistic approach and not just like we only do um you know financing help or we only do jobs or we do everything like that's got to be kind of a double-edged sword in that you can help a lot of people, but also you have to be an expert in everything almost, right? When someone has any sort of, um, you know, issue that they need help with. So like, what's that like for you guys? That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, people are not one dimensional. We do not just, uh, you know, come in with just one problem. It's usually like a series of, of uh, events that lead us to, you know, to those 
those difficult moments that we're having in our life. So being able to kind of look at um, doing a holistic approach of, you know, how is our, our body, um, how are we with our spirit and being able to connect all of those together uh, to really support one another is super important. Um, yeah, to keep in mind when we're when we're supporting our families. Have you been working in this industry for long or did you just make a pivot five months ago or what? what's your background in history? Uh, well, I guess my community um, work kind of started uh, a few years ago. I guess my first like big girl job was working for the city of Winnipeg. I was a rec tech for a long time doing drop-in programming, and I got my first opportunity, opportunity to be a supervisor um, at Turtle Island Neighborhood Center. So it was an in, in Indigenous-led um, um, community center um, partnered with Mama Way. Mm. Um, and they just do really great work as well with connecting uh, children and youth and their families to that uh, cultural opportunities uh, in the North End. Uh, and it was really through that experience that I um, just fell in love with the community and um, also you know, saw a lot of the hardships that were going on um, with our youth and our families mm. um, and just knew that there needed to be more done, but I didn't know how to do that. Um, so I went back to school at Red River College and I uh, went for my community development diploma. Um, yeah, so after after doing that and kind of getting all those tools in my tool belt, I was really excited to go back to community. And uh, yeah, that really led me to uh, to Ganiganichik here. Very cool. Very, very cool. So you mentioned sort of working with kids in person. Now, how are the kids doing these days when it comes to, you know, the social distancing and the masks and, you know, how is every, how, what's the general sense that you're getting of kids when they're, when they're kind of coming to programming and how are they doing? What, what's the general, what's the general census? Well, you know, I think that we're, what is it, almost two years into this now. So they're pretty, they're pretty well familiar with, with things that they need to do to keep themselves safe and, uh, and keep other people safe. So, um, I mean, it's always, you know, sometimes we need reminders even for ourselves, but, uh, but for the most part, they're really great. And, uh, and yeah, yeah, it's been, it's been totally fine. I think it just speaks to the resilience of youth, you know, whenever yeah. I, and whenever I am interacting with any like friends, kids or whatever, everyone's just like, yeah, whatever, we'll, we'll handle it. You know, they can handle anything. And it's pretty inspiring a lot of times. Right. Um, maybe just tell me about Butterfly Club. Club. You're the coordinator of the group. What what does the group do and what what's the, the whole mission for you as well? Yeah, so Butterfly Club is um, a program uh, for youth, and uh, so it's mainly for girls and female identifying, but we also have two-spirit youth in our program as well. Um, ages are nine, a little bit younger, to about 13, or a little bit older. Um, and so the whole, um, I guess, goal of Butterfly Club is to help create opportunities for youth to uh, learn more about their culture, to get those leadership skills, um, and just build up self-confidence in our youth. Um, so they can just be really proud of who they are and really confident in their indigeneity and um, yeah, just being able to spread that into the world um, outside of Butterfly Club. It's definitely about sort of teaching people who they are almost in a way. And a lot of times the indigeneity has been sort of attempted to be suppressed in, in, in many generations, obviously. Um, so what, what do you think the difference is of how kids are now taught to approach it versus how maybe 10, 15 years ago, kids were taught to approach it or, or disincentivized to approach it versus now. So like, what are the conversations like that you, that you're having with, uh, with some of the youth? Yeah. I mean, maybe I can really only speak to, to my own experience, you know, growing up and just knowing that, uh, just being white passing, it was a lot easier to, um, maybe, maybe easier is not the word, but it, you know, it was just times were different where, um, 
yeah, if you didn't really know about where you came from or what your community was or the language, it was just hard to identify like that. But I find that uh, nowadays um, the youth are just ready to get in there and, you know, to learn their language, to learn their sister languages, to um, to just fully, yeah, be a part, be a part of what there is to offer. Um, and we have really great advocates and elders and knowledge keepers in the community that are just so willing to share, share that information and their gifts with our youth. So it's just been a blessing to be able to have uh, yeah, to have that experience. That's, opportunity for you. that's so important. You know, I've been able, been blessed and honored to speak with a lot of different elders and it's just, you really walk away. They have a way of just teaching you without you even knowing that you're being taught something, if that makes yes. sense. And it, it's pretty, pretty incredible. But um, when, when the conversation sort of um, was really thrown into, into mainstream conversation throughout the pandemic and, you know, all the bodies that were found and everything like that, like, has there been sort of a, um, a more difficult conversation that's been happening or has that's all always happened around your work or like when you just talk about the big picture and, and how, um, you know, the average Joe is now way more aware of indigenous, um, the situation nationally that's happening. Like what, what is the, how, how has your organization approached those difficult conversations? Yeah, I, I think that that's, that's a really good point. There's been a lot of truth shedding, you know, throughout the pandemic here and uh, just a lot of stuff coming to light that I think as Indigenous people, like we've we've known about a lot of these things for so long. So um, to finally see um, it become more mainstream and more common knowledge, it's um, really sad that it had to come out this way, but it's, you know, been a blessing as well that people are willing to learn and to get educated. So I feel that it's just more of like a yeah, more like common knowledge. And that's, uh, that's really great to see. There's still a lot of, um, like maybe misconceptions about, um, I guess more like the after effects, you know, we mm. all can, can feel, you know, um, to feel that pain of a child, um, you know, maybe not making it home from residential school, but, um, some people might still lack the empathy to see those children that have grown up and, uh, have not been able to have an opportunity to heal, um, from a lot of those traumas. So, um, I think maybe just bringing to light um, kind of how how those systems have really affected um, people now and uh, and what we need to do to help. Um, yeah, to help kind of bridge bridge that gap. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think to the general knowledge about how to approach people who have gone through trauma and trauma informed care and, you know, harm reduction and all this stuff didn't really exist 15 years, 20 years ago. Right. Um, so how has your work changed? Or I guess you've only been there for five months, but I mean, just now that we know so much more about mental health and, and everything that's sort of holistically how a human exists, how do you think that's changed versus even 20 years ago when that wasn't even a conversation about mental health or trauma or all of these things. And, and now we kind of have the context and we have the, uh, the intel, the, uh, education about around it. So like, what, what is that part of your, your work? Like, yeah, I'm not sure if it's really changed. I, like, mm -hmm. I feel like this has been something that, um, again, like indigenous people have known that that healing really comes from ceremony and comes from culture and connecting to each other and, um, yeah, just being able to relate to each other. So, um, yeah, maybe just relating that, like those mental health, especially during COVID, um, back to culture and coming back to ceremony and how um, having opportunities like that are, are just so important and so crucial. And, um, you know, language is harm reduction and ceremony is harm reduction. And um, yeah, so just the more opportunities that we can have for that, um, the better, the more healing that we can have.
I love that. Language is harm reduction. Ceremony is harm reduction. I, I, I've never heard it put like that, but I think that's very beautiful. Um, well said. H how do you handle, like, obviously there's probably situations where you see some, some difficult moments and talk to people who are going through a difficult time. How do you handle sort of the residual trauma of, you know, deal with helping people like that? And how do you stay mentally um, healthy? I see um, paintings in the background and some guitar. Do you, are you an artist? What, what do you do for, to, to stay, to stay positive? Yeah, maybe I wouldn't call myself an artist. I do love Bob Ross. So I think that's really helped with my like creative confidence. <laughs> hey, Bob Ross would not like you to not call yourself an I artist. Know. Though, right? That's awesome. That's great. Yeah, yeah. So doing art and really just spending time in program with our youth. That's been like really my heart medicine is um, just being able to, to do something that I love every day. Um, mm. Yeah, I feel like I don't. Well, maybe that's not true. I was going to say maybe I feel like I don't really need to do that. Uh, um that side work, but, but I totally do. I do, um, I do smudge and I do, you know, connect to prayer and, um, but yeah, a lot of that we really connect with in our program as well. So doing our drum songs, um, with our youth and they're just, yeah, I think every, every program that we have, I just come away with learning something new and just feeling so good about what we do. So, That's beautiful. Yeah. Very nice. Um, what is it like working in Winnipeg? And, you know, I, I'll, most of the interviews that I've done are people that have worked in Winnipeg and everyone says it's just kind of like a big small town and everybody knows everyone, but what's it like for your work specifically being able to sort of contact other organizations and maybe, cause obviously like Ganikanijik has such a wide breadth of things that you need to be able to help with. So what's it like being able to sort of pick up the phone and, and contact someone who can help you if you don't maybe have that necessary, necessary um, expertise in, in whatever it might be. Yeah, I think it's been really great. There's so much support out there. And I feel like everyone just works uh, really well together because we all have a common goal in the mind, uh, you know, to help communities. So, uh, yeah, exactly. If it's if it's another organization we need to reach out to because we're at capacity, um, you know, we definitely don't want people to fall through the cracks. So, um, yeah, being able to have that strong support system and that community network uh, is really important. And I think that's really strong here in Winnipeg. Um, yeah, all around the city. I, we're in the West End, but we have... Um, uh, youth and families from all over the city. And so, yeah, I think it's really great that, that we have those connections. And what are you hearing for, has there been anything that, uh, the youth have said, like, we need this and you didn't, you, any surprises that when, when working with youth of, of what they've requested or, or suggested that you were like, Oh, I didn't think about that. Has there anything been popped up like that? Hmm. Um, it's a great question. Uh, I don't know if, any of them that I've been really surprised. I'd have to think about that. Maybe I'll come back to it. Sure. But uh, yeah, one of the things that uh, that maybe that they've been asking a lot for is just those connections to um, to land and to ceremony and going outside of the city and doing more things. Um, yeah, in like uh, traditional spaces. So um, and trying because like I'm from the city. Uh, I grew up a little bit outside of town, but not really in like any um, like First Nations. So like that's that's something they're really uh, excited about is going back to connecting to the land and. Uh, having those, uh, yeah, those spaces to be a part of. So um, that's been something new for me is try to find connections outside of the city. Um, for that. And what's your experience been like when you get to return to the land and sort of, you know, walk through the forests and what and whatnot? Like, how, how does that make you feel personally? Oh, it's so great. Yeah, just being able to take those moments to, yeah, to be connected to, um, yeah, to our relatives, our plant relatives and our, our you know, the, the four-legged and winged. Um, yeah, it's really amazing to be a part of and just uh, really get connected to remember that we're all one and, you know, without, without our water systems, without like these forests and like natural places that we're so blessed to have in Manitoba, um, 
you know, we wouldn't have the same, uh, the same experience here. So it's just really great to, to do that. And, uh, yeah, kind of connect to our, our old ways of, of living as well. Right. So we've gone out with the youth and dental medicine picking at Bird's Hill and, um, yeah, just being able to share those, uh, those opportunities is really nice. Beautiful. Yeah. My partner is a huge hiker. And so this, like the last two summers, we've just been and Manitoba really is like one of the best places in the world to go out and experience nature. And it's actually, you don't really, I feel like Manitoba hasn't really been celebrated for that, but when you get to go out to some of these hiking trails, it's like absolutely mind boggling. Like it's, it's wild stuff, but yeah, yeah it's cool. Um, mentorship seems to be a big part of the organization at Ganikanichik. And, uh, have you given much thought about like, you are essentially a mentor to a lot of these youth and like what that dynamic is like and, and, and how that goes and, and what mentorship means to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I definitely feel that in our organization. Um, I don't know, like to feel like I'm a mentor, like, I don't know how, how I feel about that. Cause I feel like I'm learning so much from these youth and from the facilitator Sierra that helps run the program. Mm. Um, you know, that sometimes I feel like I, I hope I'm giving back as much as I'm getting from this because they really do, uh, give us a lot. So, um, yeah, sorry. I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> it, does, it does. And it just shows how, how humil your, your, your beautiful humility. So, I mean, I love that because obviously you're, you're a mentor, but to, to, to just think that you're also still learning and as we all are. Right. But that's a very nice answer. No, I appreciate that. What, what's next for the next, like when you're looking sort of at the calendar for the next six months to a year, uh, what's coming down the pipe that you're excited about? What are you worried about? What are you thinking about? What, what's, uh, what's on the horizon? Yeah, so we're doing a lot of really cool projects right now with um, with Butterfly Club. So one of them is a partnership that we have with uh, the Manitoba Indigenous Culture and Education Center, uh, where we have a Cree Ojibwe uh, language class. Uh, so that's been really cool. Um, we have some like land based camps coming up to kind of be like our um, final um, like celebratory. Um, uh, yeah, just like uh, to to really take the language we've been learning and apply it to the land based. Um, experience there so that I'm really looking forward to um we've also been applying for some funding for the next year um so yeah thinking about some future projects nothing's been confirmed yet but we have some really great ideas for being able to share uh some projects that we've worked on um previously and being able to help other organizations kind of use those resources that we've created um or are going to create um to yeah to kind of utilize in their programming it sounds as though things are starting to get back to normal a little bit, and we're starting to be able to sort of return to some sense of normalcy. Um, what's the biggest thing that you missed over the last couple of years of of the lockdown and the shutdown and the and the pandemic? Um. Oh yeah, what have I missed? I, I think there's a lot, a lot that we've you know given up being in this pandemic. I think it's just um, being able to gather and to have like these big community events where we can all get together with families and and all of our youth and they can bring their friends. Um, so yeah, I think that's something that I've missed is just that, that gathering aspect. And uh, yeah, I mean, we've done it a little bit with our small groups, but being able to really connect all together, I think is something I look forward to when this pandemic, um, yeah, mm-hmm. either ends or just uh, slows down a little bit that we can kind of get back to a, a different normal or old normal. Could not agree more. Um, I'm kind of, you might be the first person that I've told this, but we are having a big gathering on June the 1st uh, with all the reconciliation grant recipients. So keep that on your calendar. Uh, We'll be able to sort of see each other in person. It's supposed to be at the uh, Blue Thunderbird Land-Based Teaching Center. So we're going to have a a nice day there. So keep that in mind. Perfect. Yeah, it'll be fun. Awesome. I can't wait. 
At the end of our time together, I do a segment called Just Because, where it's the same seven questions to all my guests, uh, just talking about the causes that you care about and the effect that it's had on your life. Uh, do you want to go through that with us right now? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Question one. What is the very first cause that you ever remember caring about? Mm. The first cause I remember caring about uh, would probably be my time at Terlila Neighborhood Center and just uh, getting familiar with the youth and yeah, just, um, you know, getting so close to them and their families and hearing about some of the um, issues that they might have had with, um, yeah, maybe lack of um, like food security or, um, you know, struggles with uh, housing. And so, and seeing our, our youth kind of age up a little bit and um, yeah, some of the struggles that they've had. So that's, that's really where, yeah, where the first cause that I really felt like I need to do something about this. And I feel like I have the power to do it. Um, I just don't know how. And so, yeah, Red River College is really, nice. really monumental with helping with that. I'm a Red River College alum as well for creative communications. <laughs> um, are, when you when you mentioned Turtle Island, is that the same as the Turtle Island Lodge that uh, Elder Dave Crushane runs? Or is it a different just because they're both called Turtle Island? Not the same no, thing? it's uh, it's a Turtle Island Neighborhood Center. So okay. it's over in Lord Selkirk Park. OK, cool. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Question two, if money and politics and logistics was no issue at all, you could just snap your fingers and something would happen in support of your current cause, what would you do? Uh, I think it would just be to, you know, ensure that everyone, every uh, person that wants to reconnect with their culture um, and to learn those teachings and to, you know, be connected with elders would have the opportunity to do that. Um, I feel like there's a lot of barriers still um, to get everyone, um, you know, on that journey. So if there's anything that we could have done or we could do to, um, yeah, to make that happen. That's what I want to do. What are some of the biggest barriers that you're seeing sort of on a day-to-day -day basis that you wish you could just be like, Hey, we knew like, is it transportation? Is it just time? What are the barriers? I think it's just that there's such a huge demand, like even butterfly mm -hmm. club, we've opened our doors for as many, I think we have 30 to 35 that are currently registered and we have about five to 10 on our wait list. And wow. so if we could just get all of them in, of course, COVID restrictions, not being a thing anymore uh, and being able to have anyone that just is looking for that opportunity to be a part of it. Um, yeah, it's just it's just that there's so much yeah so much demand and not enough not enough butterfly clubs to go around. <laughs> For sure, well, it's beautiful work that you're doing, and yeah, no, thank you so much. Uh, question three: What's the biggest misunderstanding or biggest stigma about the cause? Mm. Yeah, maybe I kind of um, kind of mentioned this earlier, but just maybe that lack of empathy of uh, you know for our relatives that haven't had that chance to heal yet. Um, yeah, so, you know, it might show up in different ways, um, like addiction or um, other kind of, you know, self-harmful ways, but uh, but just being, um, I don't know, maybe more understanding and patient and uh, just knowing that everyone's going to go through their journey and, uh, yeah, that we all just deserve to be loved and supported no matter, you know, what we're going through. Yeah, you never know what someone's been through or is currently going through. So it's it's odd that people are so quick to judge when they don't know any of the context or the history, right? It's, it's just a bizarre yeah. way to approach, approach people, but yeah, great answer. Thank you. Uh, question four, what's a recent victory either personally or professionally that you can share with us? Oh, okay. Yeah. We have this really, um, it was really special because when I first started butterfly club, you know, we have all these objectives of different goals that we're trying to meet by the end of the year. Um, so I was really expecting not to see a lot of growth until like probably a couple months down the road. Um, but we, uh, beginning of September, we did a survey with our youth to kind of just see where they're at, get a baseline of, um, 
yeah, of different things that we'll be working on. Um, and we did the survey a couple weeks later because some, some youth weren't able to do the survey that day. Uh, and we had this one youth that um, it was their first day in program when they did the first survey. Um, and our first question is, how safe do you feel in program? Um, and they, they rated it pretty low, you know, that's kind of understandable being in a new program, you don't know who anyone is or uh, who these people are that, you know, you're hanging out with for a couple hours. Um, but the next week when they redid this, um, the survey, they rated us like a four or five for their um, for their safety. And they kind of made a mention about like, you know, thank you for respecting my pronouns. And I just feel like I can be who I want to be when I'm at Butterfly Club. And it just really touched our hearts that, you know, it was just like a small thing of just asking who they are. And um, yeah, like just allowing them to be who they want to be when they come into Butterfly Club. You know? ready to share with the full world yet you're, you're yes yeah, so that was a big the last sentence there cut your internet cut off for that last sentence what were, what is the last thing you said um uh, <laughs> okay, my memory here um but yeah so just respecting their pronouns and just mm -hmm. how important that was um yeah for them to feel safe in our program and you know maybe that's not something that they can share out in the real world yet uh, or like the world outside of butterfly club but just to know that when they come in our doors that yeah it's a place that we're going to respect who they are just to have a little home base of people you can trust and, and feel the love from. That's so huge. Has there been, uh, I mean, you've only been there for five months, but have you seen, I know a lot of times when kids are mentored or youth are mentored, then they grow up a little bit and become sort of, they get involved with the programs as well. Have you seen any of that turnover or any of that sort of cycle happen? Yeah, we actually have, well, there's quite a few Butterfly Club participants that have been there for a few years, and now we see their siblings coming in. Mm. So it's really cool to see the older sisters or the older siblings, with their younger siblings, and mentoring them like in the moment. And you can just see uh, the maturity and the confidence and just like this, um, just the really great humans that these older youth are, and the younger youth are really great too. Um, but yeah, but just how, how they're able to share and to teach with their younger siblings and the other younger um, younger folks at Butterfly Club um, to share those teachings that they've already received um, and to help us out. It's just been really great, yeah, to see that growth. That's so beautiful. It's just all about potential and not stifling it, right? Like just yeah. allowing people to reach their potential and not say, not you know, slowing that down in any way. Uh, great answer, thank you. Uh, question five, what's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Hmm. Um, the best advice that I've been given, um, I think it was, uh, and this is also going back to uh, my time in my social innovation class, and it was um, just to be curious, just to not, you know, just not assume that, you know, sometimes we see things in the world and we think like, uh, like, how could this ever happen? But then just to, to kind of sit there and be curious and to ask questions and to, um, yeah, to try and find the truth and try and find those answers and, uh, yeah, not be so quick to judge. Truth is such an important part of, I mean, all of our work right now and, and just sort of Canada's work on, on the path to reconciliation. But yeah, that's beautifully said. I love that answer. Thank you. Uh, question six, what advice would you give your 10 year old self if you could uh, go back in time and, and talk to her? Um, yeah, so I think I would tell her, I mean, 10, 10 was a really crazy time in my life too. So I would just uh, tell them to, uh, yeah, to just trust, trust yourself and uh, trust in, in your own voice and to know that your voice is important. Um, yeah. And that you're going to make some, some big decisions in your life and none of them are going to be bad. They're all going to be exactly what you need. 
So yeah, just trust in yourself. Trust your gut. That's so important for kids to, to get that confidence. Yeah, no, beautifully said. Thank you, Monica, for this conversation. Uh, I can or I can tell that the, the youth are in good hands when they come to Butterfly Club <laughs> with you. So uh, it's, oh, been a, it's been a great chat. The last question is, what do you want to be remembered for? Hmm. Yeah, I think uh, what I want to be remembered for, I think that goes back to I don't know if I shared this earlier, but my spirit name is Gijitai Kwe, which is warrior woman. So Ooh. I think I want to be remembered as a fighter, as someone that um, just advocates for people's needs and to, um, yeah, just fight fight for the good of people and to, um, yeah, just to be that, uh, to be that, that person that's fighting, <laughs> fighting the good that. fight. That's a that's a powerful name to live up to. I love it. That's very yes, badass. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> Monica, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Monica Picor is the Butterfly Club Coordinator at Gani Ganichik. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to tell us about Gani Ganichik? Uh, it's ganiganichik.ca. Again, I can spell it K-A-N-I-K-A-N-I-C-H-I-H-K.ca. Um, anything else you'd like to tell us about the organization or what's coming up? Yeah, maybe I'll just put in a little plug there that Gani Ganichik is in the middle of a capital expansion. So uh, we're currently fundraising for uh, our new building to be an expansion so we can really help uh, meet all the needs of, of uh, the Indigenous community and to help out. Uh, so if there's anyone that's looking for a place to donate or just wants to learn more about what, uh, what work we do and wants to come for a tour, uh, feel free to connect, uh, to connect with us at Gani Ganichik. And uh, yeah, we'd really appreciate it. Monica Picor, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. We'll see you uh, June 1st, if not sooner. Yeah, see you then. All right, take care. Thanks so much. Thank you again to Monica for the chat today. I really enjoyed uh, my conversation with her. She's definitely one of the good ones, you know, really making an important and lasting impact in a lot of these young girls and two-spirit youth's lives. Uh, I can only imagine, you know, the memories that they're going to share, and, and it really, it's, it's just a great program, I'm, and I'm honored to have you on the show, so thank you. All music on the show is compu- composed and produced by Trenton Burton. You can hear more of his music by searching Trenton Burton on Spotify. The Cause and Effect is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation. You can learn more about what we're up to at the Foundation by searching at WPGFDN on all social media accounts or by visiting WPGFDN.org. I'm Nolan McNeil signing off for Because and Effect. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, behind every successful woman is herself. Bye-bye.